are tuned in to the Way of Healing podcast, where we inspire humans to connect more deeply to their experience of life. My name is OJ. My name is Casey. We are connecting with practitioners to talk about the potential of the innate healing powers within. Welcome back to another episode of On the Way of Healing. Today we have a cool guest, Charles Johnson. Charles works a lot with plant medicine, animal medicine, fungi medicine. He's a medicine man, I guess you can say. So today we're going to talk a little bit about what he does and why these medicines are really important for people to heal and how they can help people. Welcome to the show, Charles. Thank you, Jay. Thank you, Casey. Happy you're here. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, Casey's still here. Her voice is still yeah. changing. It's functional. It's it functional. You know, it is what it is. You kind of sound like a smoker <laughs> i'm telling you it's a great singing voice it's like this is start your career back up it's an experience <laughs> Kill it, you know so uh, first and foremost charles how did you get into um into the medicine art hmm, how did they get into the medicine art um accident yeah uh fate, universe fate yeah grace um a lot of a lot of things that I can't explain. I would say I really go back to that first time I took mushrooms, mm-hmm. which was stimulated by a leaving of the church I grew up in when mm-hmm. I was about 22. So, Christian, Catholic? Uh, Mormon. So, Mormon. Yeah, I was raised Mormon. And so they considered themselves Christian, but you know, easily identified as Mormon. And I left the church in mind, and then I took mushrooms and left it in spirit hmm. yeah and i guess technically some of these plant medicines are illegal in the united states at least but it's used all over the world mm-hmm. for their medicinal healing purposes right and they can be used for recreational purposes but we're talking strictly medicinal here and and, and healing purposes on the show so if you're looking for <laughs> something on uh, recreational mushrooms this isn't the right podcast for you yeah well i mean i think we use that term recreationally like a lot of people use that term and i think a better term to use maybe is a unsupervised exploration mm. because i know that my experiences whether they were intentional or not had transformational qualities that first time i took mushrooms it was a friend came home with a bag of mushrooms that he bought at a tow truck you know like a tow company that <laughs> was the only the only place he could find it uh-huh from various leads and we didn't know what we were doing. And so we both just took half the bag and yeah, it wasn't, there was nothing planned. There was no education. I mean, this was 12 years ago and it was eye opening. It was exciting. It was profound. It was beautiful. It was fun. And I think we can't forget that even though these are medicinal experiences or healing experiences or transformational experiences, they're also fun, beautiful, joyful experiences, mm-hmm. all of it, you know, wrapped up. And so just to clarify that, I feel that that's something I think about quite a bit is yeah. like not to, not to lose that I part like of it. it. Recreational is okay. Right. I mean that sometimes that's how we start. Yeah. That's our introduction. Yeah. yeah. And then we realize that, oh, there's something deeper here. I can meet this with intention. Totally. Or there's more power in that. Yeah. I kind of think of it as uh, like lovemaking or sex. 
right? You know, you start out, it's like, oh, <laughs> you know, there may be some different adjectives we use for that act. And then gradually you find people that you are really important to you and it starts to change the intention, the, the meaning starts to develop. And so, I mean, that's, I think that's the process of maturity and these are great tools of maturation. Yeah. That's one of the beautiful things about them is you will learn something even if you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. I've met so many people where they've tried these these medicines before um, without the, the intention of it being a healing experience and they finally come back to it and the experience is so much more different, right? Mm -hmm. Just based on the intention alone. Mm -hmm. What are some of the, the things that you work with? You know, my early days, the first half of my career as it is now was recreational and that was everything under the sun. Those were just things that I did and I shared. And then the second half of my career, the last six or so years, I've worked with Ibogaine. Mm -hmm. So I've helped people go to Mexico to get Ibogaine treatment. Uh, Iboga kind of gets put in there in that category as well, but primarily Ibogaine for the treatment of opiate addiction. And then Ayahuasca, that's one of the ones that I work with quite a bit. And then also the toad, not to be confused with Cambo. <laughs> so Casey, ask mm -hmm. the question. Mm -hmm. Tell us about the toad. <laughs> yeah, what's the difference between that one and the Cambo? Ribbit. Yeah, so uh, ribbit, yes. More of a, they more of a squeak, like meow, meow. <laughs> so the, the toad is referring specifically to the Sonoran Desert toad or the uh, Bufo alvarius or Incilius alvarius. They haven't decided exactly what genus they want to use. They're always changing stuff in science. But it's the Colorado River toad or the Sonoran Desert toad. Lots of names, I know. I just call it toad. Hmm. And it comes from the Sonoran Desert. So Arizona, Mexico, northern Mexico, the state of Sonora in Mexico. Colorado? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, well, I, I think its habitat has shrunk from Colorado and New Mexico. And even California, it used to have some territory in those areas, but it has minimized itself into the desert of Arizona and Mexico. And so this toad only lives there. And Cambo, which comes from the, I'm gonna, I don't want to get this wrong on podcast, but I will, um, <laughs> Phycoloria bimedusa. Toast, I frog. believe you. It, it's close to that, the giant waxy tree frog in the Amazon. And I wish I knew the species name, but yeah, giant waxy tree frog in the Amazon. And they're very different experiences. Cambo is purgative. You take the secretion off the frog, off its skin, and you burn marks in your arm and put it on there. And you essentially go through a pretty rapid detox process, which is probably more similar to like a type of shock physical shock mm -hmm. uh, have either of you done it no no okay not yet yeah it's it's something <laughs> she's giving that face of, <laughs> like she just sucked on a lemon <laughs> yeah that times a hundred you're gonna pull me through my sludge uh -huh. okay that times a hundred so the, the cambo frog is quite popular these days a lot of people are using it to clear out all kinds of stuff and there's a belief that it has immune-boosting properties. The toad is different. With the toad, there is a secretion from the toad where you press on these glands. They have these kind of 
glands on their shoulders and on their legs mm. that you squeeze, and this serum squirts out, kind of like a pimple, and it's very thick, very viscous or non-viscous. I'm I don't know what the viscous. which viscous. Okay, so it's very thick, like a thick honey, and it squirts out, and you dry it out, and then you vaporize it, hmm. and you smoke it. And the active ingredient is 5-MeO-DMT, so 5-methoxy-dimethyltryptamine. So similar to the NN-dimethyltryptamine that's in ayahuasca, but much stronger. Whoa. Much stronger. And short, because you're inhaling it, because it's going basically directly into your bloodstream through your lungs. It doesn't have to metabolize through your liver or your intestines or anything it's something that comes on immediately like as you're inhaling it you start to feel it and then as you're holding your breath with it in it gets really big (laughs) and the the main point of this for most people and you know most people read about this is this idea of ego dissolution or ego death or you know all the various terms used for that um, I like ego dissolution. It's a little bit smoother for me that way. But ultimately, yeah, it's like everything goes away. You go into the void of everything, as I like to call it, the white light at the end of the tunnel, the mm-hmm. nothingness of all. You talk about it being shorter. Is it like a couple minutes? Like 15 Okay. Like a full a full experience is, I mean, the peak is about five minutes, and then the kind of the fullness of it usually is about fifteen to twenty minutes for most people. And it's not a purgative, no. like combo. Typically not, no. Hmm. no. So, in your experience of it, are people, you know, like could we do it in the living room? Would yeah? Do people stay in their bodies? Well, no. If we were to do it in the living room, you would not know you were in the living room. You would not know you were Casey. You would not know this is planet Earth. You would cease to care or know anything because you would be infused with everything. And Mm. you would be everything. And there would be the dividing line between subject and object. The veil of that would be removed and all becomes one. And so, no, you could have your eyes open. You wouldn't see my hand right in front of your face. And typically people are not verbal during this time? No, they they can be. Some people, some people it's so intense and their bodies will just react. Most people, it can be very calm, but also it depends on dosing and it depends on how it's done and preparation. And there's a lot of stuff that people are watching online now where they're seeing these very ecstatic experiences of people rolling around and sometimes puking and screaming and all kinds of craziness. It looks like an exorcism mm-hmm. almost. It, it's uh, not the best representation because you can do a lot more with a lot less and you can still have that same experience. And so sometimes when I work with people, they will they will lose themselves to the point where they'll move about and they will scream or moan or you know thrash around but usually they're not so aware of what their body's doing. And then they come back into self. The levels of awareness start to come back. When they do come back, is it a smooth, like you just snap out of it? Yeah, some people, some people it's like an abrupt 
oh, I'm back in my body. Mm -hmm. Some people it's, oh, I'm having thoughts. Oh, I feel my body. Oh, I hear music. You know, I like to think of it as in the Tibetan Book of the Dead, the bardos. You know, there's the, the, the levels of consciousness that we have from death to full awareness of like humanity. And so there's these different levels that we have and, you know, that you kind of go through that process and it's usually pretty smooth. It's, it, I mean, everyone's got their own thing. <laughs> yeah. Before we go on to some of the other things, can you talk a little bit about ego and how plant medicine helps yeah, people sure. deal with that? Yeah, sure. So ego, ego, the big, the big thing, mm. everyone, everyone Everyone likes to think about their ego. I probably have a little bit more of a, a relaxed approach about ego. I think ego or identity is synonymous, is just the contribution of everything that's happened to you. And that's just how you define yourself. And it's very malleable if you believe it is and you allow it to be that much. It also can be very rigid at times, which sometimes it needs to break. It needs to get busted up. Basically, it's what you believe about yourself. It's how you interact with the world. It's uh, you thinking sugar tastes like sugar and blue is the color blue and you like the smell of roses. It's all these different aspects of yourself. You know, like I chose dandelion tea and you chose peach. Uh-huh. Peach detox tea. Mm-hmm. So there's there's ego playing itself out, right? <laughs> and then there's also ego playing itself out whenever we're sitting there ruminating when someone cuts us off in traffic or our partner says something to us that's rude or we think is rude. They say something, we define it as rude. There's ego creating definitions, creating boundaries. So ego is just a, a way that we, this subject object, how we define our world and ourself within it. What I love about plant medicine, animal medicine, psychedelic medicine, transformational experiences is depending on intensity, of course, but they allow us to have a, a reprieve from the ego, sometimes a little bit of a softer one. Maybe it gives us a chance to just feel some emotion that we don't allow ourselves to feel. Sometimes it's a complete shattering of everything we thought we knew mm -hmm. about ourselves, right? Our entire identity the job we have, the place we live, the way we are. And, you know, why it does that, how it does that. I mean, the you know, anyone who's read Michael Pollan's work or has studied, you know, some of the some of the research that's going on, it's just this scientific term, the default mode network, how our brain organizes itself and, and operates. And it just somehow the psychedelics loosen that, you know, they let the blood flow calm things start firing in different areas and suddenly the ego is much softer than it was before. Mm -hmm. And then you get to do stuff with it. Then you get to maybe change from peach detox tea to <laughs> dandelion tea. Or in my, in my case, I, I changed from one time not liking bananas to liking bananas. Or yeah. Andrew Wilde talks about getting over allergies or people can get over sickness, autoimmune disorders, emotional discontent, 
Fear of German Shepherds. Fear of German. Sh- oh, I don't know about that one. Oh yeah. But, yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. Oh, uh-huh. we got we got one of those. <laughs> mm-hmm. Didn't Terence McKenna heal his eyesight with mushrooms? Yeah, he talks about that. Yeah, he had a lot of a lot of pretty <laughs> a lot of pretty strong opinions about certain things. But yeah, um, I mean that's that's the beauty of it. Is it's just. It's just a stepping outside of yourself. As I like to say, you don't really know who you are. And psychedelics give you a chance to discover yeah. who you are. I like the um, the connection aspect of it all. How sometimes people need to experience these things to realize, yeah, we are all connected. Like I am part of this absolute whole and I'm actually not separate from the person next to me, right? Mm-hmm. And so for some people, they can experience that connectedness that can change their whole life. Because it's always the ego is like, I'm me, you're you, I'm better, whatever. And mm-hmm. when you start to realize how interconnected everything, every person, every object really is, it changes the way you approach life and how you interact with everything, I guess. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. It's awesome. Charles, what would you say to people who are fearful of taking a step in this direction of, uh... I'm not in control and I'm terrified. First, I'd say, yeah, welcome to human life. That's very normal. Everyone feels that way, I think. Maybe not necessarily about this, but about something in their life. I mean, everyone can relate to that feeling of losing control and being scared of what could happen. And I say, go at your own pace. There's no rush not a believer that there is some end goal that we are going to attain this buddhahood and that we have to strive for it i very much believe that like okay you're right where you are you're feeling fear you're not sure perfect like dive into that look at that understand that first i mean that's a opportunity to explore that aspect of not being in control where else does that play out in your life Mm-hmm. Where else do you feel that? Where else is that causing you to be limited? And then I say, you know, once you're ready, start small if you need to. Start small, talk to people, read books. Yeah, simple. If people only understood that losing control and this experience of letting go, we all, in a sense, do it. Every night when we go to sleep, we lose control. Mm-hmm. Like every night, everyone. And most people look forward to that. Most people are like, yeah, I can't wait to go to sleep. <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty awesome experience. I love it. Also, you lose control in that moment. You have a spectacular experience. Uh, I think a great one is, again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring this up because I think it's probably the most synonymous experience is lovemaking. Is like when you really engage in the act of sharing yourself and letting go and being intimate that you don't have to do psychedelics you can explore that if you need to right i mean that's that's a highly pleasurable experience and you can find the right person and let yourself go and that's a really beautiful thing to do and then you know start starting to realize that you start to recognize oh okay like this isn't so this isn't so tough there's moments i do this all the time and then maybe you get a chance to do some breath work or maybe you get a chance to go skiing 
or something. I mean, I think all of this stuff is in parcel a way that we experience the profundity of life. And that's what we're seeking. I mean, for me, that's what fulfills me. I, and not everyone is that a fulfilling experience. Some people are very comfortable and happy with things being very normal and controlled and set. And I'm like, go for it. That's your that's your game. Go. You know? But if you're asking yourself that question, well, maybe your game is not that and you're looking for something more. And just by merely asking the question, you're starting to realize that okay, there's something more within me that I desire and start slow. Hmm. You were expecting me to say, go all in, right? You're saying, just, just, just take it, you know? Just take five tabs of acid, and, you know? No. no, the start slow is beautiful. That's that's the, yeah. that's the introduction yeah, I, that is safe, right? And mm -hmm. in order to heal, we need safety. Mm -hmm. So for those of us who fear loss of control, yeah. it's bit by bit. And it's all part of the same spectrum, mm -hmm. right? What we're experiencing whether it's sex, whether it's medicine, whether it's plant medicine, whether it's, you know, being a... Watching a movie. Sure. Losing <laughs> losing yourself in a film or in a book <clears throat> or something. It's just, it's just about your mind stepping outside and you getting just to experience and be present. I mean, that ultimately, that's what it is. Meditation. Yeah. Yoga. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So Fasting. Yeah. So, I mean, I didn't... This is what I recommend now. This is not how I started my approach. I was very much, I'm going to do it all and I'm going to do as much as I can. <laughs> and, you know, that, that took me down some really tough roads. So I kind of learned from experience, like, eh, it's probably not the route to go for most people. Most people don't want to go through this stuff I went through. Yeah. <laughs> That's part of why you're the teacher, though, right? I mean, you had to kind of go there. I say more like a test dummy. <laughs> yeah, sure. Guinea pig. We're our own guinea pigs. I was uh, in a craniosacral training recently this with Hugh Milne, and it was kind of like if we don't experience our own healing and our own darkness and our own frailty, then we can't hold space for our clients to go there because we don't have anything to connect it to or to relate to, so... I think that your dandelion is steeped. If you want to remove the tea bag, you I, can. I like I like just kind of moving the tea bag cool. around. Maybe I just I'm, didn't know like, if it was a discomfort all, move. If it was like, God, no, I wish I had a place to put this. All the alkaloids. I want to get all <laughs> the alkaloids to make sure. You know, I, I'm the kind of guy that sucks on the tea bag, right? Like I want to get all of it. <laughs> Switching gears a little bit. Speaking of tea, ayahuasca is a tea. Mm. Yeah. Good segue. Thank you. Yeah. That was clever. I thought of it. <laughs> <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit about that magic tea, where it originates, and the magic of how ayahuasca just so happens to be in the same area that DMT is located and why that works together? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good. You you have already delineated the two. I appreciate that. So, so ayahuasca colloquially is just referred to as the tea, which typically has two ingredients. Um, and one of those ingredients contains an MAOI or a monoamine oxidase inhibitor. So we have 
we have monoamine oxidase in our system, which breaks down a lot of chemicals in our gut, kind of allows us, metabolizes things basically. And so DMT, when taken in orally, is broken down very quick by monoamine oxidase. So ayahuasca refers to the vine, Banisterius capi, which is this twisting double helix type woody vine that grows in the Amazon. And within that contains an MAOI, and that MAOI is mostly harmaline. Harmine, some some beta harmine, some other alkaloids, but harmaline is the, the main alkaloid there. That's the MAOI. So when ingested, it inhibits your system. It inhibits the monoamine oxidase. And then when you take a DMT-containing plant or other alkaloid containing substance, because your body's not able to break it down rapidly, it's either more potent or it's able to uh, have its effect. And so the DMT actually comes from a wide variety of substances or a wide variety of plants. So typically where I work and where I train in Peru, they use chacruna or psychotria viridis is the, the plant. It's like a shrub, green leaves. They take the leaves they put it in the water with the vine broken up. And then the DMT and the and the vine just kind of make this this nice murky dirt-like tea that has a nice bitter taste, like a fine wine. I don't <laughs> drink wine, but so um, a thick wine. A thick wine, yeah. <laughs> and so you have the MAOI from the vine, you have the DMT from the leaves, and suddenly you take it together and the DMT starts to work. It's orally active. Now, there's, you know, I want to emphasize here that it's called ayahuasca, and we use that term to just mean the entire thing. And I think that's indicative of something really important is that the vine is actually, and many indigenous people believe the vine is actually the most healing piece of it, the, the vine of the souls, right? That's what ayahuasca means in Quechua. So... It's this vine that has this stuff in it that's actually the healing property. And in the jungle, these alkaloids, the harmaline and the harmine, are actually antiparasitic. They're antiviral. They have all kinds of really powerful physical healing properties. And that's a really interesting thing because it's not that psychoactive on its own. It, it is a type of inebriant. It kind of puts you in more of a more of a trance-like state, but so much focus gets placed on the DMT and the visions and mm. the magical explosions in the sky that you see when your eyes are closed. And the deep emotional content, I think, is unlocked from the vine. You know, the DMT oftentimes really gets the, the notoriety, but lest we remember that we call it ayahuasca for a reason and that the work is internal. It's not necessarily the sparkles and the flashes and the dragons <laughs> and the fairies and the butterflies and whatever else, you know, people see in their visions. It's that deep emotional content. And so ayahuasca is that. And there's many traditions that serve ayahuasca. In Brazil, they have ayahuasca. It's, you know, they have ayahuasca in the jungle in Brazil. They have ayahuasca in the cities. It's made different, you know, 
They have ayahuasca in Peru. There's different ayahuasca for different regions. There's different type of vines, just like there's different strains of cannabis. There's different strains of vine. Some people, some tribes or groups don't use shakruna. They use chalipanga or other DMT-containing plants. I'm not an expert on all the others. Colombia uses their own thing, and Bolivia uses their own stuff. I mean, it's just kind of like what's most readily available and then what the what the culture dictates they want to use for this religious rite. And in the jungle, this is used now, um, and we believe hundreds or maybe longer than that, years back, as a tool for connection, like you said, OJ, shamans using it to convene with the with the dead, to get guidance, visions, things of that nature. But I think, you know, in my experience, I've only been down there in my lifetime. So it's quite fascinating when I go down there and I see these people gather. Well, you're looking at me like maybe I did it in other lifetimes, huh? Hmm? Okay. <laughs> I actually was looking at OJ to say maybe okay. you've done it in okay. another lifetime. <laughs> it's like everyone gathers in brazil the kids are there everyone's getting musical instruments they're all getting together and dancing and moving around are the kids taking it as well yeah sometimes in brazil i saw three-year-old drink medicine um in peru where i go it's a little different mostly adults sometimes there's teenagers that will come but it's like the community comes in and they drink, the ceremony occurs, the the maestro, the, the shaman, his apprentices, they sing, you know, it goes for a certain amount of time. They do a blessing or some sort of, you know, whatever the ritual is. There's a lot of different rituals around ayahuasca. There's a lot of different ways that people do it. And then it ends and they kind of go home. <laughs> it's not like, you know, in, it's when I take Westerners down there, they want to talk about it. They want to dissect it. They want to understand and and really dive into what happened. The indigenous people are just like, oh, yeah, went to church, go home. <laughs> so you'll ask them how it was. They'll go, oh, it was, it was magnificent. It was beautiful. You know? yeah. It was great. It was powerful. You know, say. So it's funny. In your experience, is it something that's always done overnight? Or is it a daytime? Have you have you witnessed people doing it as a daytime ritual? So I have once. We did it in, in the day in Brazil. But typically it's done at night. From my experience, because I've done it in the day myself, it's when you do it in the day, there's just so much light and it's so there's so much energy happening that it, it can be somewhat disrupting. It's, it's kind of tough to handle. You know, the, the shamanic idea is that there's different spirits in the day and the night and you know there's different interactions from a more practical standpoint which is where I come from in the day it's like you just want to cover your eyes and get under a blanket because it's just so bright but I, I do have I have some friends that have done it in the day they they loved it they think it's wonderful I would think that it would limit how deep you could go though because it would just be a lot coming in right you can't get to that emptiness yeah that yeah, space exactly yeah charles can you talk to us at all about san pedro i can and possibly 
how it's coupled with ayahuasca, which is how I'm familiar with it. Okay. Yeah, I can, I have a little bit of experience here, so I'm not, I'm not an expert, but I know there are people that believe that ayahuasca is the night medicine and San Pedro is the day medicine and San Pedro being what it is and containing mescaline and, and that experience, it's well suited for the day. You know, it's, it's well suited for the light and the warmth and the activity of the day. I don't, you know, I haven't encountered that in my travels where they do that. I think it might be more of a Western invention, but then again, I don't know because San Pedro doesn't grow in the jungle. So it would kind of be like trade routes would have to be established for them to do both of those things, Mm. which I'm sure they did. Uh, But San Pedro grows in the mountains, you know, in the higher areas. So I don't know if that's, I think that's more of a recent invention that people enjoy doing that. It's not my favorite thing to do. I like doing ayahuasca and going to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) I don't like doing ayahuasca, then taking San Pedro and being up for 36 hours straight. <laughs> that's tough on my body. Yeah, that's a long time for sure. I mean, how how are your experiences with it, Casey? I, uh, San Pedro, I haven't experienced, but it was, I heard about it through somebody who had done ayahuasca and was like, oh, and then we did San Pedro the next day. And I was like, "What? what's that? And I know that there's people growing it. I mean, it grows in California, mm-hmm. right? It's a cactus, but I I haven't witnessed it. I haven't journeyed with San Pedro. Yeah, it's it's not one that's really caught my attention. You know, it's funny. That was one of the, my first early on, one of the first experiences I tried was my friend, the same friend that brought the bag of mushrooms home from the the tow truck company. It's a good friend. Yeah, he came home first with uh, about maybe two or three stalks of San Pedro still in the jar from like a local flower place in Arizona. (laughs) And we proceeded to cut it up and blend it and boil it and drink it. And uh, yeah, that was was tough to just get down and and it didn't do anything. And so... Hmm. um, that was my first experience with it, which <laughs> I just ended up with a really full stomach of this gooey stuff that was really hard, really hard to drink. But then I, I've tried it subsequently. I've I've done it, I don't know, a half dozen times, and I've, I've done peyote as well. Yeah, I mean, it's a very different experience for sure. And I think some things just suit certain people and some things better for others and that one wasn't one that i was particularly engrossed with i was kind of like eh. how about the toad is that something that you can do daytime or nighttime is there a specific time of year time of day it doesn't matter anytime any anytime yeah if it's in the daytime i do like covering people's eyes because light can be distracting but then again when you do the toad It can be totally dark and everything becomes light anyway. So it's like, what's the difference? Hmm. Yeah. Did you want to talk a little bit about psilocybin? Yeah, I think think psilocybin is... uh, I'm really excited about psilocybin. I think it's awesome. I mean, I wish people understood that they could 
grow this in their house mm-hmm. and they could explore these type of altered states on their own just by spending some time with this species, this fungi, and getting a chance to to kind of do their own thing. I think that's a beautiful part of intention setting too, mm-hmm. is being able to create your own experience from start to finish. That's that's one of the things I love about Toad is that I I engage with the animals. I get I get a chance to actually be with the animals and witness the animals. Ayahuasca in a less direct way. I don't go out hunting for the vine or anything. And I and psilocybin, that was one of the first things I ever really the first thing I encountered and the first thing I got a chance to really learn because I grew my own at home. And super easy, and it was awesome. And, you know, they're like another, they're like aliens or something. There's something going on there that we don't understand about those guys. Um, Of course, there's all the theories, the stoned ape theory and stuff like that, where they they believe that we became homo sapien because we were eating the mushrooms that were growing in the the four-leggeds poop as we were chasing them down to hunt them, the bison and the... The cow and horses and stuff. I was going to say, we're the aliens. Yeah, well, we're all aliens. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you know, they're so fascinating and cool. And it's such a a really unique process of being able to take part in the life cycle of them. And the great thing about psilocybin, too, is you're not killing the, the fungi. You're just taking the fruit. Mm-hmm. You know, this is like this fruit was made for you, like eating an apple. And psilocybin, which we just we use as a term for mushroom, synonymous, but psilocybin is very similar to an NDMT. I think it's it's four HO DMT. So it is a it is a tryptamine, a, a dimethyltryptamine, in fact, and really similar. Almost very little difference and experientially i think it's a it's a great one because it's manageable it can you can keep it as a very you know low experience you can also dive way in you know i've only been able to take upwards of seven to ten grams but i want to I want to get to the place. There's people that do like 28 grams 30 grams this this guy kalindi um, but there's like a whole community of people that do huge psilocybin doses. And that's where I want to get to. <laughs> Charles, I want to ask you about microdosing. This is something that, you know, people are hearing more and more about. And mm-hmm. uh, do you have experience with it? What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I think it's awesome. I think it's amazing that that has become a thing in the public eye. Uh, I think Third Wave is a great resource, the thirdwave.co. Uh, over there, Paul Austin has really, uh, behind James Fadiman, who started, really kind of came up with the idea. They've made psychedelics so much more digestible to the general public with this idea of microdosing. And I love microdosing. I'm not a, I go on and off stints with it. And I've microdosed with every, I have LSD, Ibogaine, psilocybin cannabis. I mean, you can microdose with literally anything. And the idea is that you take a sub-perceptual dose. So you don't want to notice the room breathing. 
you don't want to notice, you know, the someone's face shifting colors. You want to just take a small amount, usually about one-tenth of a normal dose, and then you go about your day. And psilocybin is one of the ones in that track we were talking about psilocybin mushrooms. I think that's, I think it's a resource for everyone. Everyone that is experiencing stress, everyone that experiences any level of discomfort in their mental state should try microdosing as an option. Because like the question you asked before of someone who's considering doing psychedelics and are scared of losing control, start with microdosing, you know, see where that takes you, see where just this low amount. And it's great because even if you get a little too much, it's not that bad. I mean, you're still in control. It's just things are a little a little different. Maybe you got to chill for a couple hours, but when you're doing it right, you may just notice that you're not as anxious that day. Uh, in some of the work that I've done, you don't have the same kind of cravings. You don't feel the same kind of depression that you might feel on a day-to-day basis. And then it's a, if done longitudinally, it's a progressively increasing experience in the sense that as you do it, more and you get more accustomed to that, the, it's not as if you're going to start feeling it more, but the benefits start to play in. I think it's awesome. And I think everyone should explore it at some point. We do this when we drink, you know, people drink coffee and- You read my mind right yeah, there. I mean, yeah. there was a transmission of information. I was just about to say, it's like, you know, having a glass of oh, wine. It wasn't the note on the table? A cup of coffee. No, what is the there's, note? there's no note Charles. on the table. <laughs> Talk about this. <laughs> No, um, yeah, yeah. So we're we're in tune there on that one. It's just like a cup of coffee or sugar or any of the various <laughs> any of the various chemicals we input into our system that change our behavior in subtle ways that we don't notice. Microdosing is another one of those, and yeah, it's a, a great intro, a great way to explore and to open yourself up to something. And there's a lot of studies going on unofficial studies, but there's a lot of research going on. You just search psychedelics and microdosing. And what's great is that it's a public experience, is that there's people that are recording, they're they're recording their data. They're doing now blinded studies with themselves and then providing this data. And it's showing remarkable improvement. And even if you don't believe in it, the placebo effect is powerful too. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's beautiful to see that it's at research universities and mm-hmm. that people are are taking this on. So Casey, Casey is going to be departing. She has a departing the podcast. Departing the podcast. Hopefully yes. not this yes, life. This is not a permanent departure. Just that this moment permanent. she's going with her friend to a, an activity that she cannot take the microphone and headset <laughs> with her. So we will miss you, Casey. Thank you for joining us today. Pleasure, Charles. We got a new host. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm being I'm, ousted I'm already. Bra- I'm practicing. <laughs> Beautiful, Charles. No, that, I was sweating Thanks. bullets doing that. That was tough. You guys have a tough job. <laughs> or sorry, you both have a tough job. I'm getting rid of that guy. The guys. Yeah, it's not helpful. Hmm. Uh, much love to you both. Same. OJ, hold down the fort. You know, blow out the candle and lock the door. I know you worked a lot with ibogaine and addiction. Did you want to talk a little bit about the importance of that and how ibogaine's kind of changing the game as far as um, helping people deal with these deep addictions? Yeah, yeah. I um, that's that that's one that's near and dear to my heart. And 
to give a little backstory, when I was in my exploration phase, I ended up getting an addiction, developing an addiction to opiates. And so I was uh, smoking and injecting heroin for about three years of my life, along with cocaine and meth, and but primarily heroin. And it was through the use of Ibogaine that I was able to depart from that part of my life uh, to transform my addiction as I think of it. And after that experience of transformation, I started to work in the field. And so I started to help develop clinics in Mexico for about three years working in the field, all told, three and a half years. And so I developed clinics and I also ran an aftercare for about nine months where people would go do Ibogaine and they would come to my aftercare in the States actually and we would do all kinds of things like yoga and cryotherapy and saunas and isolation tanks and, you know, just kind of putting them through the gamut of health health and prioritizing how to get themselves back on track. And so I began was really that the first time I experienced a miracle in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, my own experience going to Mexico and using what little money I had left to pay for this treatment and ending up in you know a situation where I was really at my wits end. I mean, I before going to do it, I I felt that my life was either done or this was going to work. I didn't have any other options. There wasn't there wasn't any leeway, and so I had this experience. And I began generally is not the most psychedelic experience in the sense of visions or in the department of like sensory information, it was a very deep experience, a very, people like to use the term defragging for all the computer nerds out there, but it was definitely like a shaking up of the snow globe. And I feel my experience, it felt like I was being shaken up for like 12 hours. And it was hard to really put a, put a piece on what was going on. But there was one moment where I recognized that the core of my addiction was all situated around self-hatred and it was all just rooted in that and i felt it so viscerally and then let it go and that was it wasn't you know a quick process it was like over a period of an hour or two that i was just letting out all this grief and remorse and there's really this departure from that ego that identity and then after a couple of days of being really wiped out, I woke up and it was like a, a 2.0. I, rem- I remember waking up after not sleeping for about 70 hours. I slept maybe five hours or so. And then I went, uh, I got up at 6 a.m. with the sunrise, made some eggs, and I was me. Whoa. Cold turkey. Cold, yeah, just boom. I was me. Very so cool. I was three days removed from using opiates, and then I was me again. Powerful. Yeah, and so... That was miraculous moment in my book. And so then I've worked with a lot of people. And as I've seen, addiction is a very complex issue. And I think there's a lot that needs to happen for a person to resolve their addiction. There's a lot of social aspects. There's a lot of familial dynamics. There's a lot of situational things that need to change in a person's life. And when you say addiction, not just heroin, it could be to anything. Yeah, it could be to anything. It could be to anything. Obviously, when you get into those more extreme addictions, the level of severity increases, but really anything. If you find yourself dealing with addiction, then something must change. Mm -hmm. It's not, the substance is not the problem. 
you know, the substance is just merely a symptom of a deeper rooted issue. Right. And I think in my case, it was not dealing with my departure from Mormonism. It was being lost and it was an amalgamation of all this hypercriticalness, all this self-abuse that I put upon myself years and years and years that just really got to a point where it just blew up. And I worked with a lot of people, hundreds of people came through the clinics and I got to see a lot of people have really miraculous and tremendous experiences. And at the same time, I also saw that, yeah, things have to change afterwards. And if there's anyone out there that is considering doing Ibogaine or recommending Ibogaine for treating any type of serious addiction, I would follow it up with a, a secondary and equally important recommendation, which is do not go back into the environment that you came out of. Mm. Because if you just expect your life to be exactly how it was, just minus heroin, you're going to end up in the same place you were in before. So I tell people, now I say, if you're going to go do this, then you need to go somewhere far away. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. Speaking of addiction, is it possible for people to be addicted to psychedelics and, and plant medicine and mm. use it to escape instead of really just dealing with what's there? Yeah, absolutely. Totally. Yeah. I have seen that. I have witnessed that. It's rare. And we have to look at addiction as addiction is not about a substance. It's about an intention. And people can be addicted to food that other people are not addicted to. People can be addicted to sex. They can be addicted to entertainment. They can be addicted to fitness. They can be addicted to a lot of things. And to define addiction in my book, and I'll borrow from Gabor Mate, who says that addiction is basically the continued doing of some activity or use of some substance that brings negative consequences, hmm. right? So like you recognize that this is not helping and serving you and you just keep doing it. That's a pretty broad definition that can also envelop psychedelic use and things that are normally really good for people, like exercise. You know, you see someone going to the gym for five hours a day and not dealing with their family and their problems at home and focusing on just getting really strong, eating poorly, hurting their body. I mean, unless that's what they want, right? It's all about what do they want. Right, right. Um, but there's the umbrella is big. And so with psychedelics, there are some people that really go at it and think that it is the end-all be-all. And my experience and my hope for all the people that I work with and speak with and talk to is that psychedelics are a stepping stone. They're a catalyst, they're a tool. And hopefully through using that tool, you're going to take on a lot of new activities and new ways of being. Mm -hmm. You're going to start to take care of your body. You're going to start to take care of your relationships. You're going to start to take care of yourself in a much deeper level. And that doesn't include using substances. Yeah. yeah. The intention setting would go really big into that. Like, what's your intention with taking these medicines, right? Um, mm -hmm. What would you recommend someone go into a session with, like, intention-wise? Is it, I'm just open to the experience, and whatever the experience brings up, I'm going to honor that? Or should people go in with, like, I want to work on this specific thing? Or if they have a bunch of things that they want to work on, right? And some people go into these sessions with the expectation that, 
all of these things are going to get cleared. Like, what is your take on, on intention setting as far as taking medicine? Yeah, I, I think intention is everything in life. No matter what you're doing, intention is what defines the outcome of the experience. And I don't think there's a wrong, right or wrong intention, but there needs to be an awareness around your intentions, right? And that goes with every day. When you're going to work, what is your intention? Is your intention to make money or is it to do the job the best you can? Mm. If your intention is to make money, then other things are going to lack, right? With psychedelics, you can go in with an intention of like, solve all my problems, or you can go in with an intention of, I want to learn or figure out what you have to show me. You can be very open with your intentions. You can also be very specific, but at the same time, it's been my experience that you walk in with an intention and then you drop it mm -hmm. as soon as you take whatever you're taking, that the intention kind of, you're cementing the intention into your being. Hopefully you're preparing yourself well, you're journaling, you're contemplating, you're meditating, you're getting prepared for the experience in a way that in the experience, you don't have to think about whatever's going to come up because you may have an intention to fix your relationship and you may be in the experience and it's all about your uh, romantic relationship and the experience is all about your mother and father. Mm -hmm. And you think, oh, well, that has nothing to do with my romantic relationship. And it's like, well, are you so sure? So it works in mysterious ways. And these are great tools to give us access into the different wiring that's going on up there and that maze of a mind that we all have. So I've heard people that go in with specific intentions get really specific and direct answers sometimes. And then sometimes it has nothing to do with anything. And, you know, it, it, it's totally unclear and everything. So I think you just, as long as you prepare yourself well, you may, you leave yourself open. You don't create expectation. I think that's the that's what we have to maybe define a little bit is that intention is not expectation. Right. Right. And people are going to get out of it exactly what they were meant to get out of it at the time, right? Mm. And for some people, whatever they were looking to get out of it, they weren't ready for it. And yeah. That, that was my thing that happened with me. I just wasn't ready for the answer that I was looking for. And months later from something else, all the answers came trickling in. It was like everything I was looking to find answers for came to me somewhere completely differently because I was in a different mind state mm. and I was ready to receive those answers. So mm. um, I also think if anyone's out there that it's really important not to judge the experience. Again, going back to my experience at first, it was like, wow, this happened, this happened, like this didn't happen, but taking a step back and, and really drawing in that ego again, it's like, no, it all happened exactly the way it was supposed to and you just have to trust that uh universe spirit god is laying things out exactly how they're supposed to be laid out for you yeah and i think you bring up a good point of just the expanding your viewpoint right so often we think that the moment is everything and we don't see the past or, or the future and the possibilities and how it all fits together and I like to think of psychedelic experiences as this spark, this charge that gets put into you. And then you don't know where it's going to go. You don't know what's going to happen. I mean, the experience may be one night. 
it may be 20 minutes it may be a week you know a whole week a seven day thing but in reality the experience is weeks months years mm -hmm. like anything that we do in life and so if you can just protract yourself from it all being right there and then and look at this much more expanded view. I think there's a lot more for people there if they do that than just like, oh, the medicine told me I need to quit my job. And okay, they quit their job and then they're like, oh, you know, I don't know what to do now. Right. And it's like, well, okay, but the, you're still in it. Like there's, everything's still happening. And now is the opportunity of like, okay, where do you, how do you grow from this experience? The medicine may be just, pushing you into an experience to grow. You may not grow just from the medicine, you getting a message that you need to quit your job. The medicine is saying you need to grow self-confidence that you doesn't matter what job you have and you're going to be able to do what you need to do and succeed and be the best person you can. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've experienced that. I think the medicine just, for me, I like to have my intentions usually surrounded around my fears. The things I fear are what I intend to look at. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. That's important. I think um, the fear is what holds a lot of people back, right? Mm -hmm. The fear of the unknown, the fear of not making enough money or not finding the right partner, or whatever it is. And if you could really um, hold space for those fears, acknowledge them and, and go in with the intention that I, I want to work with these fears in a way where they're not so controlling. There's a lot of freedom behind that or after that. Yeah. I, I read an article today about neurofeedback and Neurofeedback is basically you go into a professional and they, they put some electrodes on your head or they put you in an MRI and they monitor your brain and they then show you images or they might put you in situations, but generally they show you images and they see what your brain does. Mm -hmm. And then they, they see when your brain is stressed or bothered by certain images and then they let you know. And then you learn while you're still being wired up you learn practices in your behavioral pattern in your mind to then shift the way you feel about certain images or things. Whoa. And as I was reading this, I thought, oh, psychedelic psychedelics are like nature's neurofeedback because literally you get this image of maybe it's the death of a loved one or maybe it's the loss of something you're attached to and you have a, such a different emotional state that you're able to then kind of deal with it and process it and release a lot of the high intense emotions that are surrounding that. And uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's amazing. And it's like, it's just science. It's just the way that we operate. Yeah. Because of the legal aspects of some of these plant medicines, we're not going to tell people where to go out and get some. Yeah. But um, can you recommend books or something that people can look into to start exploring these things for themselves or documentaries or videos? Yeah, I think, you know, there's a lot of, even on Netflix, they may have some videos like The Spirit Molecule or The Last Shaman was was an okay movie. There's, there's some new ones I haven't seen yet called Trip of Compassion, which just came out. Tim Ferriss is really hyping that one up, hmm. which it shows some of the MDMA research that's going on, and I'm sure it's great. And then... Um, as far as books, Michael Pollan's kind of the go-to with How to Change Your Mind. That one has really struck a chord with a lot of people. But if you're already somewhat familiar, I think reading reading things like any of Stan Groff's work or 
Rick Doblin as a uh, biography, or maybe it's an autobiography. That's a really great one. Rick Doblin is a, a hero of mine and an amazing guy and really has led the resurgence of psychedelics in this country. Mm-hmm. So I would say the best resource would be go to maps.org, maps.org, just like Google Maps, but just maps. And they have lots of resources for books. And also Michael Pollan's website has lots of resources for other books. I can't name off the top of my head all the books, but I, I think reading any type of books about spirituality are you know, going to be great. Eckhart Tolle, mm-hmm. Osho. Um, you know, the one I saw on the bookshelf today that I just finished, The Road Less Traveled. I mean, there's, there's so many things and it's good to be, have an expanded view and, and to look at all of it. Cause it's not just psychedelics. It's about consciousness and it's about learning about yourself. And that is spirituality. Yeah. Charles, it was such a pleasure having you on the show, brother. I thank you for, uh, everything you've done for me and for my family and for uh, being a guest on the show. Any last words? Yeah. I I just want to say thank you, OJ, for inviting me. And and I still remember that fateful day we met when you did some myofascial release. (laughs) (laughs) That was, oh man, four years ago, something Uh, like that. That was a while ago. That was great. You know, that was a, that was a great experience of learning for me too. Yeah, I'm not a super active person on social media and my work and what I do, I'm not, I don't advertise or or put anything out there these days. I hope to get to that point in the near future, trying to correct my redundancies when I speak. And yeah, I would say if you're, if you're looking to try this stuff, go to the resources. If you're interested, a lot of people ask me about Ibogaine because they're dealing with someone in addiction. I think check out, call the Ibogaine centers in Mexico. There's some great ones. Clear Sky, Experience Ibogaine. You can mention my name. They all know me. And as far as going to do ayahuasca or going to the jungle, uh, there's some other great places like Temple of the Way of Light and Niue Rao. And, and then just do your due diligence and you'll be fine. Trust yourself. And there's people out there. You just yes. gotta find them. <laughs> yeah. They are out there. It's like the X Files. What is the X Files line? Yeah, yeah. I can't remember. I don't know. The exact, I know what you're talking about, though. <laughs> Pleasure, brother. Thank you so much for being on the show. And thank you guys all for listening. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to The Way of Healing. We hope that you find yourself inspired. If you enjoyed our show, a gift is to let others know. And we want to hear from you. Please share your feedback so we know how our work is resonating. Make us aware of modalities and practitioners whom we may not know. If you haven't already, please subscribe at thewayofhealingpodcast.com. Our email is thewayofhealingpodcast at gmail.com and find us at facebook.com forward slash thewayofhealing. Remember, a rising tide lifts all boats.